Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Luke, and this is my co-host. Gerard, hey-ho, hey-ho. How's it going? And today we're going over the Salem Witch Trials, um, which <laughs> is very early on and involves the Puritans, so you know it's going to have its own brand of wackiness and mass hysteria involving Satan. So let's get started. Um, the Salem Witch Trials were a series of hearings and prosecutions of people accused of witchcraft in colonial Massachusetts between February 1692 and May 1693. More than 200 people were accused, 30 were found guilty, and uh, 20 people died from it. Um, arrests were made in numerous towns beyond Salem and Salem Village, notably Andover and Topsfield. Uh, the grand juries and trials for this crime were crimes were conducted in by a court of Oyer and Terminer in 1692 and by a superior court of Judicature in 1693, both held in Salem Town, where the hangings also took place. It was the deadliest witch hunt in the history of colonial North America, and um, <laughs> it is viewed as a case of mass hysteria. Um, do you want me to pass it over to you, Jared? Yes, sir. Sounds good to me. And yeah, after a group of young girls in Salem uh, Village, Massachusetts, claimed to be possessed by the devil, accused several local women of witchcraft as a wave of hysteria spread throughout. Um, as Luke mentioned, a special court uh, convened. Uh, the first convicted witch, Bridget Bishop, was hanged on in that June. Eighteen others followed Bishop to the Salem's gallows, while some uh, 150 more men, women, and children were accused over the next several months. By September uh, 92, the hysteria had begun to abate and public opinions turned against the trials. Although Massachusetts General Court later annulled guilty verdicts against accused witches and granted indemnities to their families, bitterness lingered in the community and the painful legacy of the Salem witch trials endured for centuries. So here's a little context and origin of the Salem witch trials, uh, belief in the supernatural, and specifically in the devil's practice of <coughs> giving certain humans witches the power to harm others in return for their loyalty had emerged in Europe as early as the 14th century and was widespread in colonial New England. In addition, the harsh realities of life, the rural Puritan community of Salem Village, present-day Danvers, Massachusetts, uh, at the time included the after-effects of the British War with France in America's colonies in 1689, a recent smallpox epidemic, fears of attacks from neighboring Native American tribes, long-standing rivalries with the more affluent community of Salem Town, present-day Salem. Amid these simmering tensions, the Salem witch trials would be filled by residents' suspicions of and resentment towards their neighbors, as well as fear of outsiders. In an effort to explain by scientific means the strange afflictions suffered by those bewitched, uh, Salem residents in 1692, a study published in uh, Science Magazine in 1976, cited the fungus ergot found in rye, wheat, and other cereals, which Toxicologists say it can cause symptoms such as delusions, vomiting, and muscle spasms. 
So that's kind of what they're saying might have also caused parts of it. Yeah, is that it was like it, it was like er, ergot poisoning or something that causes um, like hallucinations and whatnot. Yep, and it was found in rye, wheat, and other cereals, which they were eating quite prevalently in that time. In January uh, 1692, a nine-year-old Beth Betty Paris and 11-year-old Abigail Williams, the daughter of a niece Samuel Paris, minister of Salem Village, began having fits, including violent contortions and uncontrollable outbursts of screaming. After a local doctor, William Griggs, diagnosed bewitchment, other young girls in the community been exhibiting, uh, began exhibiting similar symptoms, including Anne Putnam Jr., Mercy's Lewis, Elizabeth Hubbard, uh, Mary Walcott, Mary Warren. In late February, arrest warrants were issued for the Paris Caribbean slave uh, Tiktabu, along with two other women, the homeless beggar Sarah Good and the poor elderly Sarah Osborne, whom girls accused of bewitching them. Um, the hysteria spreads. Three accused witches were brought before magistrates Jonathan Corwin and John Hawthorne um, and questioned. Even as their accusers appeared in the courtroom in a grand display of spasms and contortions, screaming and writhing, the good and Osborne denied their guilty. Tibula confessed, likely seeking to save herself from certain conviction by acting as an informer. She claimed that there were other witches alongside her in service of the devil against Puritans. Yeah, so... Hysteria? So can can I just touch on that really quick, Jared? No. So what... <laughs> just kidding, go for it. So what... Um, that girl says is that, like, when, when she admitted to being a witch, is that she had been visited by, like, Satan or whatever, and he had a book with him, and he saw other, she had seen other names written down in his book, and those were the supposed other witches in the town. But if she was a slave, how could she read the book? A lot of times the, the slaves weren't able to read. Well, I, I just remember that that was part of the this original uh, round of uh, maybe, what would you call it, confession or whatever? Mm, maybe, I don't know. That doesn't make sense to me, no offense. I, yeah. I don't know. Uh, a number of others accused, including Martha Corey and Rebecca Nurse, both regarded as upstanding members of the church community, and a four-year-old daughter of Sarah Good. Like uh, Tibula, several accused witches confessed and named still others. The trials soon began to overwhelm the local justice system. In May 1692, the newly appointed governor of Massachusetts, William Phillips, ordered the establishment of the Special Court of Or, or Tahir, and uh, Terminer to decide on witchcraft cases for Suffolk, Essex, and Middlesex, Middlesex uh, counties. Presiding over by judges including Hawthorne, Samuel Seawall, and William Sauton, uh, the court handed down its first conviction against Bridget Bishop on June 2nd. She was hanged eight days later on what would become known as Gallow Hills in Salem Town. Five more people were hanged that July, five in August, eight more in September. In addition to others accused... Uh, witches died in jail while the elderly Giles Corey, Martha's husband, was pressed to death by stones after he refused to enter a plea at his arrangement. <laughs> uh, God, how terrible. God. Yeah, I know. He's a, he must have been stubborn. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> stubborn and honest. Uh, I got one more to go. Conclusion and legacy. 
Although the respected minister Cotton Mathers had warned of the dubious value of spectral, spectral evidence or testimony about dreams and visions, his concerns went largely unheeded. During the Salem witch trials, increased Mathers, the president of Harvard College and Cotton's father, later joined his son in urging the standards of evidence for witchcraft must be equal to those for any other crime, including that it would be better than... Uh, better that ten suspected witches may escape than one innocent person be condemned. Right. Amid waning public support for the trials, Governor Phillips dissolved the court of order and terminer in October and mandated that its successors disregard spectral evidence. Trials continued with the dwindling intensity uh, until early 1993 or uh, 1693, and by that, Philip uh, May Phillips had pardoned and released all those in prison on witchcraft charges. On January 19, uh, 1697, Massachusetts General Court declared a day of fasting for the tragedy of the Salem Witch Trials. The court later deemed that the trials were unlawful and that the leading Justice Samuel Sewall publicly apologized for his role in the process. Yeah, and yeah, just just, just say you're sorry and that will make everything make better. Make everything better. Yeah, yeah, don't, don't even pay a fine or anything, just, you know... Because he accused people of, you know, doing the work of frickin' Satan, you know, whatever. He's like, whoops. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm whoops. My, my, my bad. <laughs> my my the bad. The damage to the community lingered, however, even after Massachusetts Colony passed legislation uh, restoring the good names of the condemned and providing fina- financial restitution to the, uh, their heirs in 1711. Indeed, the avail- a vivid and painful legacy of the Salem witch trials endured well into the 20th century. When Arthur Miller dramatized the events of uh, ni- uh, 1692 in his play The Crucible, which came out in 1953, ha- ha- using them as an allegory for anti-communist witch hunts led by Senator Joseph McCarthy in the 1950s. Didn't didn't you have to read that? I I remember I had to read that in high school. I do not remember. The, the, I may or may not have. I don't remember. The Crucible. Yeah, I, I, I recognize the name, but I don't remember reading it. Yeah, I, I don't know. To me, it's kind of a shitty book, but whatever. Well, it was meant to be a play, so probably why it was adapted into a book and it wasn't the best book because it was supposed to be a play yeah all right i'll pass it all on to you over to you okay so first i kind of wanted to start with a uh background of who the puritans actually were so the puritans were members of a religious reform movement known as puritanism that arose within the church of england in the late 16th century They believed that the Church of England was too similar to the Roman Catholic Church and should eliminate ceremonies and practices not rooted in the Bible. They felt that they had a direct covenant with God to enact these reforms, and they were under siege from the Church and the Crown. Uh, Certain groups of Puritans migrated to northern English colonies in the New World, in the 1620s and 30s, laying the foundation for the religious, intellectual, and social order of uh, New England. Aspects of Puritanism have reverberated throughout American life ever since. So, to me, their belief that they, you know, believe that everything 
at least religiously, should be rooted in the Bible, um, to me, made makes them view view the world more as uh, I don't know, like may, maybe that helps explain where the how they thought Satan could influence people in real life. I, I don't know. Um, so the roots of Puritanism are to be found in the beginnings of the English Reformation. Uh, the name Puritans. Uh, they were also sometimes called precisionists, was a term of contempt assigned to the movement by its enemies. Although the epithet first emerged in the 1560s, the movement began in the 1530s when King Henry VIII repudiated papal authority and transformed the Church of Rome into a state Church of England. To Puritans, the Church of England retained too much of the liturgy and ritual of Roman Catholicism. Well into the 16th century, many priests were barely literate and often very poor. Employment by more than one parish was common, so they moved often, preventing them from forming deep roots in their community. Priests were immune to certain penalties of the civil law, further feeding anti-clerical hostility and contributing to their isolation from the spiritual needs of the people. Um... I, I I also wanted to uh like read who the actual uh victims were. Um like Jared said, like nineteen were what, hung or killed, right? And then one guy like starved in prison or whatever. Or no, sorry, he was tortured to death. Um, that sounds right. Yeah. So according to various sources, over 200 people were accused of witchcraft during the Salem witch trials. Not everyone who accused was pursued by authorities or arrested. Um, between 140 and 150 people were arrested for witchcraft. Um, some of these court records have been lost over the years. Um Sorry, I was looking for the, uh, I, I wanted to read some of the people that <laughs> there, there's been a lot of theories, Jared, about like why these people were, um, either accused or, um, you know, killed is because, you know, some thought it was like, like a family, like drama you know, like family versus family, like, uh, you know, like the Hatfields and McCoys or something like that, where like yeah. just certain families in the town, uh, hated one another. So yeah, they had their family rivalries. Yeah. Okay. So one that was found guilty and executed was Bridget Bishop. She was a widow who lived in Salem town. She was in her fifties. She had a bad reputation around town because she had been accused of witchcraft years before and had frequent run-ins with the law, which probably meant <laughs> she was showing too much of her ankles or something. Who, who knows what she did? Um, <laughs> she wasn't the first person accused during the Salem witch trials. 
but she was the first cr- person tried because it was believed the case against her would be easy to win. Um, she was brought to trial on June 2nd, found guilty, and became the first person executed, like you were saying, eight days later. Um, another one was Sarah Good. She was age 39. She lived in Salem Village and was the wife of William Good. At the time of the trial, she was poor and pregnant and would often go door to door in Salem Village, begging for handouts while her husband worked as a day laborer. She was one of the first people accused of witchcraft during the trials, along with Sarah Osborne and Titaba. I, I, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't know the correct pronunciation of Tichuba. I, I don't know. Tichuba um, is what I was thinking. When the afflicted girls first began showing symptoms that they were bewitched, the girls accused the three women of the of bewitching them. She was brought to trial on June 29th and executed on July 19th, 1692. Um, I'll read one more and then I'll kick it back to you. Uh, the next one was Elizabeth Howe, age 57. She lived in Topsfield and was the wife of a farmer, James Howe. Much like Bridget Bishop, she had also been accused of witchcraft before. In her previous case, uh, she was accused of bewitching a local girl. No charges were ever brought up against her, but she was later refused admittance to an Ipswich church due to the incident. In May of 1692, she was accused of witchcraft by the afflicted girls in Salem she was arrested, brought to trial on June 29th, and executed 20 days later on July 19th. <laughs> Man, they were quick about this crap. Um, I know, like there's only like an eight-day turnaround yeah, between I, being sentenced and death. Like it was really I know. quick. It's like, well, you're a witch. Um, we're gonna throw you in the lake. Have a good life. <laughs> good luck to you. Yeah. Bye. Okay, so I'll kick it back to you. Sounds good. Uh, yeah, um, so some historical background of the witch trials. Um, uh, it was presided over Chief Justice William Sauton. The court was made up of magistrates and jurors. Uh, Bridget Bishop was the first to be tried and found guilty. Thirteen women and five men from all stations of life followed her to the gallows on three successful hanging days before the court was disbanded by Governor Willem Phillips in October of that year. So five men also died, 13 women and five men. So it wasn't just women. It was mostly women victims, but there were a couple of men here and there too. Um, and the court of uh, judiciary, or judicature, I don't know how to pronounce that, formed to replace the witchcraft court and did not allow spectacle evidence. This belief in power of the accused to use their invisible shape or specters to torture their victims has sealed their fate of those tried by the court of Oyer and Terminer. The new court released these awaiting trials and pardoned those waiting, awaiting execution. In effect, the Salem witch trials were over. As years passed, apologies were offered. Restitution was made to the victim's family. Historians and uh, sociologists 
I have examined this most complex episode in our history so that we may understand the issue of that era and view subsequent events with heightened awareness. The parallels between the Salem witch trials and more modern examples of witch hunting like the McCarthy hearings of the 1950s are remarkable. Um, so that's pretty interesting. Yeah, it, it, it also reminds me of the satanic witch, or no, the satanic panic of the 1980s, Jared, you know? Oh, yeah, with like rock music and all the religious people were saying that they're worshipping devils with the rock music and all that stuff. Like, I, I've listened to a fair amount about that, and like, you know, they thought that like people could summon demons through like Dungeons and Dragons manuals. I mean, just crazy shit, you know? Because <laughs> they didn't understand it, so they feared it. Right. Thing. And that was just, it seems to be the same case with the state of witch trials because of that fungus causing people to get violently ill and have seizures and vomit and everything else. Um, they didn't know what was causing it, so their minds started associating it with the devil because it was so horrible. Well, yeah, so I mean, you... you once I had to watch him. That, that was 400 years ago. I mean, they, you know, this was before germ theory. This was before, you, you know, even the theory of evolution. So, you know, they... They had no idea. They were afraid of the unknown. They, they, they still probably thought the world, the earth was flat or something, you know? Yeah. Uh, more than 200 people were accused of practicing witchcraft. 20 were killed during the hysteria. Uh, even ever since those dark days ended, the trials have become synonymous with mass hysteria and escape going. Um, they were a series of witchcraft cases brought before a local magistrate in a settlement called Salem. Um, the Salem uh, trials officially began in February 1692. Uh, the affected girls accused the first three victims, um, which were uh, Tuba, uh, Sarah Good, and Sarah Osborne of witchcraft and ended in May of nineteen or sixteen ninety three when the remaining victims were released from jail. The exact cause of the witch trials are is unknown, but there are probably a number of causes. Some <laughs> some theories <laughs> are conversion disorder, epilepsy, ergot poisoning, epicephalitis, uh, Lyme disease, unusual cold weather factionalism, socioeconomic hardships, family rivalries, and fraud. Yeah, I mean... Also in the 17th century... Sorry, go ahead. I, 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 I personally think it was just a lot of... You know, it, it... I mean, think how, like, desolate and, like, isolated this these towns probably were. And, you know, like food was probably really tight, you know? So like, Oh yeah. People were probably already very on edge and superstitious and, you know, thought their neighbor was out to get them, you know? And, you know, this all just kind of boiled over eventually and, you know, just resulted in mass hysteria. Yep. Yep. Also in the 17th century, Massachusetts, People also feared that the devil was constantly trying to find ways to infiltrate and destroy Christians in their communities. As devout and strongly religious communities living in a near isolation in the mysterious new world, the community of Salem had a heightened sense of fear of the devil. As a result, it didn't take much to convince the villagers that there was evil among them. In addition to this constant sense of fear, Salem residents were also under a great deal of stress during this period due to a number of factors. One major factor was that in 1684, 
Uh, King Charles II revoked Massachusetts Bay's uh, colony's royal charter, a legal document granting uh, colonists permission to colonize the area. The charter was revoked because the colonists had violated several of the charter's rules, which included uh, basing laws on religious beliefs and discriminating against angelics. A newer, more anti-religious charter replaced the original one in 19 or 1691 and also combined the Massachusetts Bay Colony, uh, Plymouth, or Plymouth uh, Colony. Yeah, it's, December- it's Plymouth. Okay, I had it right the first time. I doubted myself. Uh, several other colonies into one. The Puritans who had left England due to the religious persecution feared their religious religion was under attack again and worried that they were losing control of their colony. The political instability and threat to their religion created a feeling of uneasiness and discontent in the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Other factors included a recent smallpox epidemic in the colony, growing rivalries between families within the colony, a constant threat of attacks by from nearby Native American tribes, and the recent influx of refugees trying to escape King William's war with France and Canada and New York. Um, the witchcraft hysteria in Salem first began January of uh, 1692 when a group of young girls who later came to be known as the Afflicted Girls fell ill playing a fortune-telling game and began behaving strangely. Behaving yeah, they... were Elizabeth Boone, Elizabeth Hubbard, Mercy Lewis... Sorry, go ahead. They, what what they were doing is they were reading tea leaves, and, uh, you know, to find out who their future husbands were. Yeah. And, um, like during the witch trials, they believe that that's how like they be came to be, I guess possessed or, whatever you want to call it by afflicted by Satan. Because yeah, they call them afflicted. Because they saw that as witchcraft. Yep, because they didn't understand it. Because um, I I I would argue there are some people even to this day that think that like uh, fortune telling is viewed as satanic or demonic because it's uh, taking your taking power away from in God's realm, right? Or something like that. Because you're trying you're trying to predict the future. Yep. I agree. It all started, they all started to experience the same symptoms, which consisted of uh, suffering fits, hiding under furniture, contorting in pain, and experiencing fever. Many modern theories suggest the girls were suffering from epilepsy, boredom, child abuse, mental illness, or even a disease brought on by eating rye-infected fungus. Yeah, I I mean, to me, the spasms sound like uh, epilepsy, you know? Yeah, but how many people do you know who have epilepsy, and how many of those are, like, within a small little town like that, you know what I mean? Epilepsy is not a very common occurrence and most of the time people have it all throughout their lives it's not like it just randomly appears one day when they're like 13 or 14 i, I mean wrong it, but from my knowledge that's not how it works <laughs> it's also possible they were just faking it yeah true true i i think the most possible if they were not faking it 
I believe it would, the most possible one could have been a disease by eating the rye-infected fungus because apparently that fungus has the same symptoms as what the girls were experiencing, and that would make sense uh, for them all to be sick when they're all eating the same type of grains and stuff like that. And since they're younger kids, it probably affected them more so than it would have affected an adult. Yeah. At least that's my way of, of thinking about it. Well, there's... Go ahead. Their immunities wouldn't be as developed and yada yada. Yeah, and then plus the parents have probably come in contact with that fungus, so their, uh, like you said, their immunity or immune system hasn't doesn't know how to react to that specific type of uh, disease. Um, and at the same time, they're also running a fever, which indicates to me an infection of sorts, which could be a fungal infection. Yeah, I mean, uh, they, oh, okay, so like another, another famous uh, mass hysteria that they think was caused by ergot poisoning. Ha- have you heard of the dancing plague? Where people were dancing until they died or something like that? Yeah, it, it was in the Middle Ages. Yeah, I think I've heard of that. It sounds familiar. Yeah, because their their main source of nutrition back then, too, was like, uh, wheat or rye, and yeah, they they think that ergot fungus had infected their uh crop or whatever. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, although the afflicted girls were the main accusers during the trials, many historians believe that girls' parents, particularly Thomas Putnam and uh, Reverend Samuel Paris. We're egging the girls on and encouraging them to accuse specific people in the community that they didn't like in an act of revenge. Yeah, because I, uh, one one other thing that I don't think we mentioned, Jared, is a lot of the court documents that survived from this time uh, are written by this what what's his name, John Good or something. Uh, Thomas Putnam and Reverend uh, Samuel Paris. Yeah, it's the Reverend that uh, they think wrote most of these court documents. Ah. Because with... And they used... What, with him... And it seemed like they used the girls to accuse people they didn't like or had rivalries against. He... What What did you call him? Is, is he a priest? A reverend. A reverend. So think of a lot of the social power he would have had. He He would have yeah. had a lot, you know... With it being such a religious community, he would have been one of the main community leaders at the time. True, true. Specifically uh, regarding religion, which is what comes into play when you're talking about the devil. Right, so he, he would have been the one that would have been labeling their seizures and whatnot as being satanic. Yep, that makes sense. And in May, as the number of cases grew, uh, William Phillips, the governor, set up a special court, which is the court of lawyer and terminer. Um, This is a special type of court in England, English law that established specifically to hear cases that are extraordinary and serious in nature. Uh, It consisted of eight judges. Uh, um, The number of uh, people accused and arrested in May surged to over 30 people in one month. Wow. 
Arrest warrants were issued for George Jacobs Jr. and Daniel Andrew, but they evaded arrest. Although the witch hunt started in Salem Village, it quickly spread to neighboring towns, including Amesbury, Andover, Salisbury, Topsfield, Ipawich, Boucher, uh, and numerous residents of t- those towns were brought to Salem and put on trial as well. Um, the number of accused and arrested began to decline in June, but still continued, and soon the local jails held more than 200 accused witches. Due to overcrowding in the jail, the accused witches were kept in multiple jail cells in Salem Town, Ipwich, and Boston. Salem Witch Jails were, or Salem Jails were located on the corners of the Federal Street and St. Peter's Street. Uh, the jail was a small wooden structure with a dungeon underneath. Since the accused witches were considered dangerous prisoners, they were kept in the dungeon and were chained to the walls because jail officials believed this would prevent their spirits from fleeing the jail and tormenting their victims. In 1813, the wooden structure of the jail was remodeled into a Victorian home. In 1956, the home was raised. A large brick building now stands at the spot uh, with a memorial plaque dedicated to the old jail. Pre-trial examinations were held at the Salem Village Meeting House in Reverend Samuel Paris's house in Salem Village, in uh, Iggersoll Tavern in Salem Village, and in Bradles Tavern in uh, Salem uh, Town. Which and those were the pre-trial examinations. Uh, these. The, there, the accused were questioned by a judge in front of a jury, which decided whether or not to indict the accused on charges of witchcraft. Or did the, if the accused was indicted, they are not allowed a lawyer, and they had to decide to plead guilty or not guilty with no legal counsel to guide them. So they're kind of just left on their own. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they should have said, well, I'm a witch, and I curse the judge to, to say I'm innocent. Yeah, that would mess with their mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I, was, I, have, I have a little bit more. Okay. Uh, early opposition to the Wayland uh, witch trials. Another interesting fact about the witch trials is that not everyone in Salem actually believed in witchcraft or supported the trials. There are many critics of the witch hunt, such as local farmer John Proctor, uh, Proctor, who stopped at the idea of witchcraft in Salem and called the young girls scam artists. Critics such as Proctor were quickly accused of witchcraft themselves under the assumption that anyone who denied the existence of witches or defended the accused must be one of them. They were brought to trial. Proctor's entire family was accused, including all of his children, his pregnant wife Elizabeth, and sister-in-law. Yeah, so um, can can I just mirror that with the satanic panic really quick, Jared, of the 1980s? Oh, oh yeah, go for it. Okay, go so it. like what you were just saying, that anyone who questioned it was viewed as being guilty, right? So that that was the exact same thing of the satanic panic is anybody that questioned it was suddenly accused of being part of the satanic cult. Guilty by association. Yes. Because it you know that's the problem with these mass hysteria is you know you you, are, you know you you know once again it's you know Oh, you're you're not worried about these children? Well, then you must be guilty of you know Satanism or whatever. Um, yeah. Did you have more? A little bit. Uh, 
the trials. The trials were held in Salem Courthouse, which is located in the center of Washington Street, about 100 feet south of Lindale Street, opposite of where the Masonic Temple now stands. The courthouse was torn down in 1760, but a plaque dedicated to the courthouse can still be seen today on the wall of the Masonic Temple on Washington Street. Uh, Bridget... You're you're talking about the Freemasons. Uh, I'm not sure. It just says the Masonic M A so Mason I C Temple. Yeah, M A S. Yeah, that's Masonic. Yeah, that's the Freemasons. Yeah. Ah, uh, Bridget Bishop was the first person brought to trial. Bishop had been accused of witchcraft years before, but was cleared of the crime. Bridget was accused by five of the affected girls who stated that she had physically hurt them and tried to make them sign a pact with the devil. During her trial, Bishop... Yeah, crazy. Bishop repeatedly defended herself, stating, I'm, I am innocent, I know nothing of it, I have done no witchcraft, I'm innocent as a child unborn. Well, she she uh, must they, have been so innocent because her ass got uh, lit on fire. <laughs> yeah. Bridget Bishop was convicted at the end of her trial and sentenced to death. She was ha- hung... Hanged on June 10th, 1692, at a place now called Proctor's Ledge, which is a small hill near Gallows Hill, making her the first official victim of the witch trials. Five more people were hung in July. One of them was Rebecca Nurse. Rebecca Nurse's execution was a pivotal moment. Although many of the other accused women were unpopular social outcasts, Nurse was a, a pedis, well respected, well loved member of the community. When Nurse was first arrested, many members of the community signed a petition asking for her release. Although she wasn't released, most people were confident she would be found not guilty and released. Her initial victim was, in fact, not guilty. But upon hearing the verdict, uh, the afflicted girls began having fits in the courtroom. Judge Sotton asked the jury to re- uh, reconsider their verdict. A week later, the jury changed their minds and declared Nurse guilty. Uh, Which is bullshit. Yeah, and that leads... That provides credence towards the theory that the girls were faking it. Because if they just randomly had a a fit during her not guilty phase, that tells me that they were faking it the whole time. Yeah, I mean, like, why, why if, okay, like, let's say there were, witches were real, why would they suddenly, like, oh, wow, you're about to find me innocent, let me self-incriminate myself. Yeah, that's smart. Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Um, on July 23rd, John Proctor wrote to the clergy in Boston. He knew the clergy did not fully approve of the wish hunch. doctor told him about the torture inflicted on the accused and asked that the trials be moved to Boston where he felt he would get uh, a fair trial. Clergy later held a meeting on August 1st to discuss the trials but were not able to help Proctor before his execution. Proctor's wife managed to escape execution because she was pregnant, but Proctor was hung on August 19th, along with five other people, another notable person who was accused of witchcraft was Captain John Alden, Jr., the son of Mayflower crew member John Alden, or Alden, I, I don't know. Alden was accused of witchcraft by a child during a trip to Salem while he was on his way home to Boston from Canada. Alden spent 15 weeks in jail before his friend helped break him out. He escaped to New York and was later exonerated. Yet another crucial moment during the Salem witch trials was the public torture and death of Giles Corey. Corey was accused of witchcraft in April during his wife's examination, knowing that if he was convicted, his large estate would be confiscated and would be passed down to his children. Corey brought his trial to a halt by refusing to enter a plea. English law at the time dictated that anyone who refused to enter a plea could be tortured in attempts to force a plea out of them. This legal tactic was known as a pen, 
Pene forte etader, which means strong and harsh punishment. The torture consisted of laying the prisoner on the ground naked with the board placed on top of him. Heavy stones were loaded on the board and the weight was gradually increased until the person entered a plea or died. In mid-September, Corey was tortured this way for three days in a field near Howard Street until he finally passed away on September 19th. His death was gruesome and cruel and strengthened the growing opposition to the Salem witch trials. As the trials and executions continued, colonists began to doubt that so many people could actually be guilty of this crime. They feared that many innocent people were being executed. Local clergymen began speaking out against the witch hunt and tried to persuade officials to stop the trials. Around the end of September, the use of uh, spectral evidence was finally declared inadmissible, thus marking the beginning of the end of the Salem witch trials. Although spectral evidence, evidence based on dreams and visions, wasn't the only evidence used in court during the Salem witch trials, is the most common evidence and the easiest evidence for accusers to fake. Other evidence used in trials included confessions of the accused, possessions of certain items as, uh, such as puppets or ointments or books on the occult, as well as presence of an alleged witch at witch's teat, which is a strange mole or blemish on the accused person's body. <laughs> okay, so if you have a mole, you're a witch, <laughs> apparently. Yeah. On September 22nd, eight people were hanged. Uh, these were the last hangings of the Salem witch trial. On October 29th, Phillips dismissed the court of lawyer and terminer. The 52 remaining people in jail were tried in a new court, the Superior Court of uh, Judiciary, the following winter, and the new court was presided over uh, by William Saunton, Thomas Danforth, uh, John Richards, uh, Waystill Winthrop, and Samuel Seawall. Now that the spectral evidence was not allowed, most of the remaining prisoners were found not guilty and released due to lack of real evidence. Those who were found guilty were pardoned by Governor Phillips. The governor reviewed, released the last few prisoners following uh, that following May. I mean, you... I, I bet these people were still ostracized even if they were, um, you know, found or pardoned or whatever, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, I'm sure their local, like, all their neighbors still hated them and whatnot. Oh, get this, Luke. Other victims included two dogs. Oh, God. Who were shot or killed after being suspected of witchcraft. Oh, God. They they probably saw them barking and thought that they were talking in a satanic tongue or something oh, crazy. Something. They're just dogs. Oh, yeah, no, poor what, dogs. That is a mass hysteria. What the hell? What do you have against I dogs? I know, for real. It's a common myth that the Salem witch trial victims were burned at the stake. The fact is... No accused witches were burned at the stake. In oh, come on. You, you can't even frickin' burn one witch? What the hell? Nope. They hung them or they hung them all or they died in jail or that one guy was tortured to death. Um, no, he, he he was stoned to death, right? No, stoned is a different type of torturing. That one was like a, I forget what it's called, like a pressing, press, pressing torture or something. But it's uh, being stoned to death is when people throw stones at you. When you're being pressed to death, it's when they put the stones on top of your chest. Oh. Okay. Well, um, Salem was uh, was ruled by English law at the time, which only allowed uh, death by burning to be used against men who committed high treason, and only after it, after they had been hung, quartered, and drawn. <laughs> so that's the only way they would have uh, been burned, but none of them were. 
Many of the accused were wealthy and held different religious beliefs than their accusers. This coupled with the fact that the accusers, or the accused, also had their estates confiscated if they were convicted, has led many historians to believe that religious feuds, property disputes, played a big part in the witch trials. Um, daily chores, business matters, and other activities were neglected during the chaos with the witch trials, uh, causing many problems um, in the colonies for years to come. According to the uh, the book, The Witchcraft of Salem Village, uh, Village, the whole colony, moreover, had suffered. The people had been so determined upon uh, hunting out and destroying witches that they had neglected everything else. Planting, cultivating, the care of houses, barns, roads, fences were all forgotten. As a direct result, food, food became scarce, taxes higher, farms were mortgaged or sold, uh, first uh, to pay prison fees, then pay taxes. Uh, frequently, they were abandoned. Salem Village began uh, that Salem Village began that slowly decayed, which eventually erased its houses, walls, but it never, uh, but it's never its name and memory. As the years went by, the colonists fled, ashamed and remorseful what had happened during witch trials. Since the witch trials ended, the colony also began to suffer many misfortunes, uh, such as a drought, crop failure, small pox outbreaks, Native American attacks, and many began to wonder if God was punishing them for their mistake. It, 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 was, probably, it, it was probably the witches that they didn't find was cursing the colony. <laughs> maybe, maybe. On December 17th, 1697, Governor Sutton issued a proclamation in hopes of making amends with God. The proclamation suggested that there should be observed a day of prayer with fasting throughout the province so that all God's people may put away that which hath stirred God's holy jealousy against his land and that he would help us wherein we have done amiss to do so no more. And especially whatever mistakes on either hand have fallen into, referring to the late tragedy raised among us by Satan and his instruments, though... Or through the awful judgment of God, he would humble us, therefore pardon all the errors and people that uh, desire to love his name. On the day of the prayer and fasting was held on January 15th, 1698, and was known as the Day of Official Humiliation. Huh. On that day, Judge Samuel Sewall attended prayer services at Boston South Church and asked Reverend Samuel Willard to read a public apology that Sewall had written, which states, Samuel Sewall, sensible of reiteration strokes of God upon himself and family, and being sensible that as to the guilty con- contracted upon opening of the late commission of Oyer and Terminer at Salem, to which the order of this day relates he is upon many accounts more concerned than any uh that he knows of desires to take the blame and shame of it asking pardon of men especially desiring that uh prayers that god who has an unlimited authority would pardon that sin and all of other his sins personally or personal and relative and according to his infinite benign uh and sovereignty not to visit the sin of him or any others upon himself or any of his, nor upon the land, but that he would powerfully defend him against all temptations to sin for the future and vouchsafe him his, the efficacies, saving con, uh, conduct of his word and spirit. Um, in 1706, the afflicted Bill N. Putnam Jr. also issued a public apology for her role in the Salem witch trials, particularly in the case against her neighbor, Robert, uh, Rebecca Nurse. Her apology states, I desire to be humbled before God for that sad and humbling uh, providence that 
fulfilled my father's family that year, about 92, and that then, being in my childhood, should by such a province of God be made an instrument for accusing of several persons of a grievous crime, whereby their lives were taken away from them, whom now I have just grounds and good reason to believe they were innocent persons, and that it was a great delusion of Satan that deceived me in that sad time. Yeah, yeah, so, so they're... So they're still blaming Satan, not yeah, not still not shifting the blame from themselves. Not not their own stupidity. They're still blaming or Satan. Fear. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, uh, where I justly fear I have been instrumental with others, through though ignorantly and unwittingly, uh, to bring upon myself and this land the guilty of innocent blood. Though what was said or done by me against any person I can truly upright say before God and man, I did not, I, I did it not out of anger, malice, or ill will to any person, for I had no such things against one of them. But what I did was ignorantly being deluded uh, by Satan, particularly as I was the chief <laughs> instrument of accusing of a good wife nurse and her two sisters. I desired to lie in the dust and be humbled for it, and in that I was accused, I, uh, I was a cause. Uh, with others of so sad a calamity to them and their families, uh, for which cause I desired to lie in the dust, earnestly begged forgiveness of God and from all those unto whom I have given just cause of sorrow and offense, uh, whose relations were taken away or accused." In uh, 1711, the colony passed a bill restoring some of the names of the convicted witches and paid a total of 600 pounds in restitution to their heirs. Since some families of the victims did not want their family members listed, not every victim was named. The bill clearly had the names of George Burroughs, John Practor, George Jacobs, and it goes on. Yeah, so um, let, 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 our, let, let me read some of the victims. Yeah, go for it. Okay, so Sarah Wilds, uh, age 65. She lived in Topsfield and was the wife of a local judge, John Wilds. She had somewhat of a bad reputation due to previous brushes with the law. What were her crimes? In 1649, she was accused of uh, having relations outside of wedlock, the horror. And in 1663, she was accused of Wearing a silk scarf. Oh no! Yeah. Silk oh, oh my God! What? What a! What should they ever do? Yeah. Better burn her at the stake. After she married John Wilds in sixteen sixty three, John Gold and Mary Gold Reddington uh, developed a hatred of her, and in sixteen seventy began spreading rumors that she was a witch. Oh my God! Even after. Uh, Reddington passed away from natural causes. Mary's friends continued to harass and torment Sarah Wilds. The Gold family were close friends with the Putnam family. And shortly after the Salem witch hunt began, the Putnams accused her of witchcraft. In April of 1692, she was arrested. Uh, John Wilds' daughter and son-in-law... Uh, were also arrested, as was John's other daughter, Phoebe Wilds, and Sarah was brought on trial on June 29th and executed on July 19th. So here's an interesting one. 
a Reverend George Burroughs, age 40s, which, can you imagine how scandalous that must have been if a Reverend was accused of being a witch? I don't know, for real. Like, especially back then, like, wow. Like, a man of, a literal man of God is a witch. I mean, <laughs> that that must have been like... Yeah, that that must have been like freaking front page news or whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah, true. So he was a he was a Puritan minister. Um, he was a minister in Casco, Maine, during the 1670s, but left the settlement after it was attacked by Native Americans. He later se- settled in Salisbury, Massachusetts, for a while before being asked to serve as the new minister in Salem. In 1680, the residents of Salem disagreed over his appointment as his minister, and he was not always paid his salary. He often borrowed money from the Putnams to support his family. You know, it really seems like the Puritans hated people if they begged for money. Yeah, they didn't like that. <laughs> Stop bugging us, or we're going to light your ass on fire. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you'll repay your debt. When he stopped being paid altogether, he left Salem and returned to Maine. At some point, the Putnam sued Burroughs for failure to repay his debt. Shortly after, accused him of witchcraft. A natural... Uh, Escalation. Yeah, a, a natural... You didn't repay your debt, sir. You are a witch. A natural escalation. <laughs> um... He was arrested, brought to trial on August 5th, and executed on August 19th. So, you know, a natural... He was obviously guilty. Um, Martha Carrier, age 33. She lived in Andover and was the wife of Thomas Carrier. Carrier was also the niece of outspoken opponent of the Salem Witch Trials, Reverend Francis Dane of Andover, and the sister of accused witch Mary Toothaker of Billerica. Carrier was the first person in Andover accused during the Salem Witch Trials. She was accused by her neighbor Benjamin Abbott after the two had a dispute over land, and Abbott immediately fell ill. Her children were also accused and were coerced into testifying against her. She was brought to trial on August 5th and killed 14 days later. So, you know. <laughs> In two weeks, you can prove somebody's a witch, apparently. Um, John Willard, age 30. He was a deputy constable in Salem at the time of the trials. He was one of the first people in Salem to speak out against the witch trials, and like I said, that automatically would have made you a witch, or satanic, or whatever. But basically, a, an, yeah, an, an enemy of uh, the, the quote-unquote good people of Salem. Uh, Willard was responsible for helping to arrest, arrest the cute accused witches, but soon began to doubt so many people could be guilty of witchcraft and quit his job in protest. So, obviously, shortly thereafter, he was accused by 
of witchcraft by Anne Putnam Jr., who also accused him of beating her sister to death. Willard was not immediately arrested, but his in-laws, the Wilkins family, began to grow suspicious of him. He was accused a second time by his wife's grandfather, Bray Wilkins, after Wilkins fell ill upon receiving a cross look from Willard in May of 1692. Just a few days later, Bray's grandson, Daniel Wilkins, was found dead, his body blunted and beaten, according to court records, quote, to the best of our judgments, we cannot but apprehend but that he died an unnatural death by some cruel hands of witchcraft or diabolical act. An arrest warrant was issued for John Willard, but he had already fled Salem Village. A second arrest warrant was issued, and Willard was hunted down and arrested in Nashua, New Hampshire, during his examination at Beatles Tavern in Salem. The incident with Bray Wilkins and Daniel Wilkins was brought up, and the Wilkins family also accused Willard of beating his wife, because why not? Several confessed witches testified against him, as well as an afflicted girl, Anne Putnam Jr., who testified that she saw many ghosts of people Willard allegedly killed. Once again, he was brought to trial on August 5th and killed two weeks later. <laughs> so, it seems like, Jared, they were just rounding people up, um, like, all on the same day, you know, because it, and the dates keep overlapping. And, you know, then they would just all decide they were guilty and then kill them all on the same day. You know? Yep. That's what it seemed to be. It's like they just round them all up and, like, you're all guilty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> find, find the nearest tree and light light your ass on fire. I, I, I know it wasn't... I know they weren't burned. One, one interesting thing... Jared, is it seems like uh, no matter your social status in the community, you weren't immune from being accused of witchcraft. Well, a lot of the people that were accused of witchcraft were actually landowners, and that's why they suspect that the people who were doing the accusing, the accusers, were being manipulated to accuse specific people so that their rivals could gain their, gain their land. And that's what it seemed like. Seemed oh, to be. Be, because didn't you say like their land would be seized if they were found guilty? Exactly. Yeah. Which, you know, <laughs> apparently there's no such thing as uh, bias in these court proceedings, you know? Oh, yeah, not at all. No bias whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. By the way, uh, give me your land. <laughs> 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 You're a witch, die. <laughs> I mean, how... Okay, like that last guy, how is he a witch? He was accused of beating people up. You know? I mean, I figure a witch is gonna, like, curse you to death or something, you know? Yeah, not just beat you up. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. Um, well... Sadly, we have to end it there because we're nearing an hour. So, um, yeah, I I think this was a good episode, though. So, yeah. oh yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. So, um, all 
I'll finish with the brief part two, just reading the list of the rest of the victims that were, uh, you know, uh, killed. So, um, thank you guys for listening. Uh, this has been your host, Luke, and my co-host, Gerard. And hope you have a good, hope you have a good week. Thanks for listening. George Jacobs Sr. Uh, was accused of witchcraft by several people during the Salem witch trials, including his granddaughter, Margaret Jacobs. He was a reluctant churchgoer and an outspoken critic of the Salem witch trials. He was first accused by his servant, Sarah Churchill, who also accused his granddaughter, Margaret Jacobs. His son, George Jacobs, was accused as well but he evaded arrest. Many people testified against him, including almost all of the members of the Putnams. He was found guilty on August 5th and was called on August 19th. John Proctor, age 61. He was a wealthy farmer on the outskirts of Salem. He was in, he, he was also an outspoken critic of the Salem Witch Trials. Basically, anyone who spoke up against them must obviously be with the enemy, or a witch. It was often threatened to beat or... uh, After his wife, Elizabeth Proctor, was arrested on charges of witchcraft, the afflicted girls turned on Proctor during Elizabeth's examination and accused him as well. Uh, His entire family was eventually arrested on charges of witchcraft. Proctor knew Salem was in the midst of a mass hysteria and wrote a letter to the Boston clergy in July asking that they intervene or move the trials to Boston. The clergy responded, but it was too late to save him, who once again was one of the people who went to trial on August 5th and then killed two weeks later. His remaining family members were never charged or found guilty and pardoned. His body was reportedly retrieved from the execution site and secretly buried on his farm. Alice Parker, she was a fisherman's wife Uh, The couple lived in Salem, where Alice was known as a pious, honest woman. She also had a reputation for clairvoyance, and on one occasion successfully predicted that a friend's husband had died at sea. In May of 1692, an afflicted girl suddenly accused her of witchcraft. During her trial, Warren made several... um, Accusations against her, claiming Parker bewitched her mother to death, made her sister ill, and drowned several men and boys in the sea. She was brought to trial on September 9th and killed two weeks later. (laughs) Apparently they were moving at lightning speed for finding witches. Mary Parker, about age 40.
She was a widow from Andover. She was first named a witch by William Barker Jr. and was accused of afflicting Martha Sprague. It is not known why Parker was accused, but she stated during her examination that there was another woman in Andover named Mary Parker and suggested it was a case of mistaken identity. She then stated that the woman in front of her was the woman who afflicted her. Then she was brought to trial on September 17th and killed five days later. Anna Pudiator, age 70. She's a widow who lived in Salem, where she also worked as a nurse and midwife. She had a reputation for being sharp-tongued and often fought with the locals. She was accused of witchcraft in May by Sarah Churchill and several other girl, afflicted girls. Some of her medicinal supplies, such as foot ointments, were confiscated and introduced to the court as objects of the occult. During her trial, Pudiator accused many of her accusers of lying. She was brought to trial on September 9th and killed two weeks later. William Red. He lived in Marblehead and was the wife of fisherman Samuel Red. And like Bridget Bishop and many other witches, Wilmot Reed had also been accused of witchcraft before 1687. She was an unpopular person around town because she often quarreled with others and had an abrasive personality. She was a wife of uh, her, her daughter was the wife of fellow accused witch uh, the Reverend George Burroughs. She was accused of witchcraft in May by the Salem afflicted girls and brought to Ingersoll Tavern in Salem for her examination. She had never met them before and then asked why they were afflicted. She said they were in a, quote, sad condition. She was indicted and several Marblehead residents testified against her. She was brought to trial in September and executed uh, on September 22nd. Margaret Scott, age 77. She was a widow from Raleigh. Uh, she had seven children, but only three survived. After her husband died in 1671, she was left destitute and forced to beg from her neighbors, and this made her unpopular with her neighbors. She was accused by two of Rowley's most notable families, the Wickhams and the Nelsons. A member of the Nelson family also sat on the grand jury that convicted her. She was brought to trial on September 17th, and killed five days later. Samuel Wardwell, age 49. He was a carpenter. He was a well-known fortune teller and practitioner of English folk magic. It is believed that his work in the occult led to his witchcraft accusation. He was accused in September and arrested in jail in Salem. Shortly after, his wife and daughters were also arrested.
During his examination, he admitted to fortune-telling and dabbling in magic, and said that the devil may have taken advantage of him for these reasons. He then confessed to making a pact with the devil, but later recanted his confession. He was brought to trial in mid-September and killed on September 22nd. I mean, when all these dates lined up, it sure seems like... These people were all rounded up in the and just all hung together or something. Martha Corey, age 72. Like, it's really sad to me that a lot of these people that were killed were so old. I mean, God. She lived on the outskirts of Salem and was the wife of a wealthy farmer. Uh, Giles Corey. Corey had a reputation for being a pious member of the community, despite the well-known fact that she had a child out of wedlock in the 1670s. Oh God, the horror. Martha Corey was also an outspoken critic of the Salem witch trials and stated many times that the afflicted girls were liars. During her own examination, she told the judge, we must not believe all that these distracted children say in March she testified or Giles Corey testified against his wife in court stating that she may have bewitched his farm animals and himself uh, when Gar Giles Corey was accused of witchcraft and arrested in April he refused to provide any more info on Martha or himself so even turning on your poor wife uh, wasn't enough to save you from uh, being accused of witchcraft. She was brought to trial on September 9th and killed uh, two weeks later, just three days after Giles Corey had been tortured to death for refusing to enter a plea. Mary Eastie, age 58. She was a sister of accused witches Rebecca Nurse, and Sarah Cloyce. She lived in Topsfield and was considered a pious, well-respected member of the community. In April, she was accused of witchcraft, arrested, but was then released in May. She was accused again a few days after her release and arrested. She was examined and indicted on not one, but two charges of witchcraft. She was brought to trial on September 9th and killed on September 22nd. Uh, Giles Corey. He's the wealthy farmer from earlier, age 71. He had a reputation for being an angry, violent man and was once charged with murdering his farmhand in 1676. He was found guilty but only suffered a fine for his uh, actions. Many locals, including Thomas Putnam, suspected Corey had paid a bride for his freedom and in April he accused his own wife of witchcraft um, he refused to enter a plea in an attempt to prevent his course from going to trial he reportedly knew he was going to die either in jail or the gallows 
and wanted to avoid being convicted before he did. As a result, he was tortured for three days in a field in, a, in an attempt to force a plea out of him, and he died on the third day of his torture on September 19th. I mean, it seems like one of the key days in this was September 22nd, because a lot of these people were hung on that day. Um, let me look up Thomas Putnam. Thomas Putnam. Uh. He lived until 1699. He was a member of the Putnam family uh, and a significant accuser in the Salem Witch Trials. His father, Lieutenant Thomas Putnam Sr., was one of Salem's wealthiest residents. He was excluded from major inheritances by both his father and father-in-law. His half-brother, Joseph, who had benefited from their father's estate, married into the rival Porter family fueling ill will between the clans. Putnam, his wife, and one of his daughter all leveled accusations of witchcraft, uh, many of them against extended members of the Porter family and testified at the trials. So, you know, this was obviously a... Um, he had a clear bias and had uh, much to gain from these people accused of witchcraft. He's responsible for the accusations of 43 people, and his daughter is responsible for 62. He and his wife had 12 children in total. Both of them died in 1699, leaving 10 orphans, two children having predeceased before them. Uh, it's, yeah. He's a real piece of work. But anyways, I think I'm going to end it there, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, have a good week.